In Titus 2, older women are commanded to teach what is good so they can help younger women love their husbands and children. On today's show, you'll hear from older women who will share timeless, relevant biblical wisdom and personal, profound life experiences to help answer your questions and teach what God says is good so you can be the wife and mother you were created to be. Welcome to another episode of Older Women Likewise. Good evening. It is so good to be back with you again tonight, Cindy. I am so sorry I missed last week. We were just overcome with boxes, but we pretty much completed our move and uh, we got a few more boxes to do. But other than that, we're pretty well settled in. You wow. are not in the van again. You are not in the van tonight. <laughs> Where are you? Yes, I'm not in the van today. This is actually inside our beach house at Glen Eden Beach. And so we'll be here for about a month. So this may be kind of my new background for a few weeks. But it's good to be in Oregon and in the cool weather and just being around people we've known for a long time, reconnecting with all the brethren here and friends and such. So oh, that's so Oregon, Oregon's home. It's where I was born and raised. But yeah, so... Today, I'm talking about humility, and I mean, has life humbled you, Isla? Oh, I mean, is life... <laughs> oh, everyone, I know, I know, me too, and I think about what experiences, like, have most produced humility in my life, and a lot of it, I think, has been around parenting. You know, God has taught me a lot through the course of parenting, I think. So yeah, that's what I'm talking about today. And I think also the aging process, right? The aging process is such a humbling experience as we experience like the slow natural losses involved um, with aging physically and mentally. And I mean, not, not to mention even how it becomes more and more apparent, how desperately we are utterly dependent upon God's grace and mercy, right, Isla? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And I, I think about that, too, in relation to John chapter eight, when the Pharisees bring the woman caught in adultery um, and he responds by saying, you know, he that is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast the first stone at her. And then we see that those accusers, they're so convicted in their consciences that they leave the scene one by one, beginning from the oldest to the youngest. So that says something about humility and learning as we grow older and older. So Isla, we'll see you after the program and get Sounds some great. of those at the end. All right. So over time, after a while, there's been so many public blunders. And even when we do our best, it no longer surprises even ourselves to lose faith yet again. So being humbled by our own flaws and miscalculations and sins can range from like this little feeling of awkwardness to deep, painful regret. So Plato's observation that the first and greatest victory is to conquer yourself. I mean, that's so true. And we all just need to kind of get over ourselves 
And that's what life does to us as we age, I believe. So it's interesting in scripture how God prefers to use humble people to do amazing, God-glorifying things. Think about Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Um, God says there that his lawgiver in the Old Testament, Moses, was a very humble man, more than any other man on the face of the earth. God uses him. Humble people are useful to God. Same thing with the powerful King David. Um, you know, he repents and he's, a, he's said to be a man after God's own heart. And in Psalms 131.1, it says, Oh, Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. Unquote. So see how King David, a man that God uses so, so much. He's a humble man, and that makes him useful to God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 19, the apostle Paul was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and in his trials. So, and of course, when God himself becomes flesh, he chooses to be born in a humble city with a less in a less prominent tribe of Israel. Um, in a shelter where only animals lived and even being laid in that manger, right? Like an animal trough as a bassinet. See how God over and over again uses humility. So in 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 12, remember Paul was being humbled by something very, very painful. So much so that it is described as a thorn in the flesh. And by inspiration, Paul writes something important that we need to take to heart. He said his thorn in the flesh was given to him to keep him from exalting himself so that he could learn two things. First, that God's grace was sufficient for him. Some translations read, my grace is enough for you. So it's not that I'm enough. A lot of people are going around being like, I am enough. Or that you are enough. But with God's grace, that's what's enough to get us through. The second reason Paul was being humbled was so that the power of Christ could dwell in him. We learn from Paul's experience that when hardships come, we can also use them to learn humility and to show how good God is at comfort and support and granting us a peace that passes understanding. In this way, physical weaknesses or other painful thorns in the flesh can lead to spiritual strength if we choose to allow them. I mean, what a reminder to not waste our pain. So in that 2 Corinthians 12, when we especially look at verse 11, where Paul acknowledges that even with all the signs and wonders and miracles, he and all the other most, um, he and all the other most eminent apostles could perform, they still were what he calls a nobody. So I guess that's the point, isn't it? All glory is God's alone. So when 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 14 says, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, etc. We learn that humility is something that we are not born with, but rather it is something that we choose to put on. 
So let's choose to put on humility because the thing is, as Augustine puts it, humility is the foundation of all other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which the virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except by mere appearance. Without putting on humility, the other qualities in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, I mean, it's like you're spiritually naked. By that, I mean your soul is exposed and vulnerable to the forces of evil. In fact, Sam, Samuel Butler puts it this way. There is no man so unsafe as he that is too proud to be told the truth or have his errors taken notice of, unquote. So we clothe ourselves with humility. We put humility on. Humility is so valuable that at its very heart, it's at, at its very heart, it is at the heart of our relationship with God. So Psalms 138.6 explains that if we want to be close to God, that he regards the lowly, but the haughty, he knows from afar. First Peter 5, 5 is a similar reminder of how humility is at the heart of our relationship with God when it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And boy, do we need grace, right? In this world so full of darkness, we also desperately need to need God to hear our prayers. But whose prayers does God hear? Second Chronicles 34:27 says that God hears us when one, our heart is tender, and two, when we humble ourselves before him. He not only hears the humble, in Isaiah 57:15, God said he even dwells with those who have a contrite and lowly spirit and revives the heart of the contrite. So when Proverbs 3.34 says that God mocks mark mockers, but he shows favor to the humble, the honest truth is that God does not respect those who act disrespectfully, but to the humble, he gives the grand prize, his favor. Hey, if all you have at the end of your life is the favor of God, you will have everything that matters. You have won like all the showcases. So that is winning. You know, you would think it would be the slick manipulators or even the most powerful dictators that would inherit the land, so to speak, and delight themselves in abundant peace. But su supply, surprise plot twist, it is actually the meek that God says will inherit the land, Psalms 37, 11. So in Psalms 51, 17, when the word of God says the sacrifice of the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. I mean, hear that? Do you hear the humbleness in that broken spirit? A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So we learn that God loves a broken and contrite heart. What that means is that when our own sins break our own heart, in God's sight, it is worship. That is like a sacrifice. That's how beautiful your humbleness is before him. Humbleness is beautiful to him. C.S. Lewis helps us understand this a little better when he says, 
when you meet a really humble man, he will not be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be the sort of person who is always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, unquote, C.S. Lewis. So do do let's do our best to neither praise nor dispraise ourselves. But humility, rather, is thinking of others with a genuine interest. Low self-esteem envies the strength in others instead of being inspired by those strengths. You see, one can be both confident and humble. And I think we see that in our Savior. With the humble, their confidence, though, is in the Lord. Proverbs 3.26. So let's explore now what genuine humility does. Micah 6.8 answers that question for us. It says, quote, God has told us what is good and what he requires to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God, unquote. So walking humbly with our God. Walking in the scriptures means, of course, to live because walking is something that most of us do all day, every day, right? As we live. So genuine humility walks humbly with God pouring out our hearts to him, confessing our weaknesses and listening to him by reading and obeying his word. So in contrast, we learn in Luke 18, 14, what humility does not do, right? In the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. And it says, quote, like in verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praised, praying to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I paid tithes and all that I get, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you this, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we get a view from heaven now in that about what the result of these two men, of these two men, when Jesus says, I tell you that when this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we must be disgusted by our own sin rather than most disgusted by the sins of those around us. And when we witness people in the depth of wickedness, we would do best to remember there I would be except by the grace of God. So what else does humility do? Well, Philippians 2, 2 through 3 says that when we're humble, we count others as more significant than ourselves. There's a side benefit to this that you may have not noticed. So when you are used to genuinely counting others as more significant than yourself, you can celebrate the successes of others and gain sort of an immunity from envy. Thomas Fuller says, when a proud man hears another praised, he thinks himself injured. You guys, that is no way to live. 
in the church and out and about this community, instead of looking for people to be with who are, who will somehow benefit us or raise our social status, we should instead be associating with the lowly and thinking about how we might be able to help and even empower these people and help them help themselves. Romans 12, 16 is a great reminder of this when it says, not to be arrogant, but friendly to humble people and don't think that you're smarter than you really are, one translation reads. So Jesus showed us by example that humility washes the feet of others, right? Adding, if then the Lord your teacher, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet, John 13, 14 through 16. So you see, the truth is there is nothing noble in being superior to someone else. In fact, true nobility is an excelling still more and only being superior to how you used to be. In Christianity, it is the first that'll be last and the last that'll be first. In fact, one author had some great ideas about what humble service looks like in our culture. Um, sort of our culture's version, really, of washing our feet. So I've strung together many of the ideas, many of his ideas that I want to share with you because they're just so practical. So here were some of his thoughts. He said, real servants do what's needed, even when it's inconvenient. Servants see interruptions as divine appointments for ministry and are happy for the opportunity to practice serving. Servants are always on the lookout for ways to help others. We miss many opportunities for serving because we lack sensitivity and spontaneity. Great opportunities to serve never last long. They pass quickly, sometimes never to return again. We, you may only get one chance to serve that person. So take advantage of the moment before attempting the extraordinary. Try serving in ordinary ways. Jesus specialized in menial tasks that everyone else tried to avoid, washing feet, helping children, fixing breakfast, and serving lepers. Nothing was beneath him because he came to serve. It wasn't in spite of his greatness that he did these things. It was because of his greatness. Servants finish their tasks, fulfill their responsibilities, keep their promises and complete their commitments. They don't have, they don't leave a job half done um, or undone. They don't quit when they get discouraged. They are trustworthy and dependable. Real servants don't serve for the approval or the applause of others. They live for the audience of one. You won't find many servants in the limelight. They are content with quietly serving in the shadows because they remember they are loved. Servants don't have to prove their worth. To be a servant requires a mental shift, a change in your attitudes. God is as interested in why we do something than in what we do. We can measure our servant's heart by how we respond when others treat us like servants. How do you react? when you get taken for granted or bossed around or are treated as inferior. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use that occasion to practice the servant life. They don't compare, criticize, or compete with other servants or ministries. These servants are too busy doing the work of God that has been given them. They're all on the same team 
We're all on the same team. Our goal is to make God look good, not ourselves. So there's no place for petty jealousy among servants. When you're busy serving, you don't have time to be critical. Any time spent criticizing others is time you could have spent ministering. So it's not our job to evaluate the master's other servant. Your service to Christ is never wasted regardless of what others say. Jesus knew who he was. So the task of washing the disciples' feet didn't threaten his self-image. So those quotes are from Rick Warren. And I just thought they were super practical on what does humility look like day to day and in action. So the next point is that humility listens to advice. In Proverbs 12, 15, God says we're foolish when we when we do what we think is right without listening to wise advice. C.S. Lewis says on this that God, quote, wants a child's heart, but a grown-up's head. He wants us to be simple, single-minded, affectionate, and teachable as children are. But he also wants every bit of our intelligence uh, we have to be alert at its job and in first-class fighting trim, unquote. So humbleness then both listens to advice and at the same time does not blindly follow um, any advice if that advice is at conflict with any biblical principle. So let's think about now what humility looks like in conflict. I like this advice that we should look upon the person who tells you what you are doing like he has told you where treasure can be hidden. Correction is a treasure because it's the chance to not be wrong anymore. I mean, and that's fantastic because now you can do what's right. And that is got all kinds of wonderful side effects that you and I need in our lives. Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I am persecuted whenever I'm contradicted, unquote. I mean, I feel like that's frameworthy in this day and age where so many think that they're persecuted when someone simply disagrees with them. Uh, Winston Churchill set a good example of the opposite mindset um, when he said, so long as I am acting from duty and conviction, I'm indifferent to taunts and jeers. I think they'll probably do me more good than harm, unquote. I mean, if we all had that attitude of caring more about duty and conviction than social acceptance, maybe we could win this culture war against the present day enemies of goodness. I mean, like Winston Churchill did physically against the Nazis. Author Kevin DeYoung challenges our level of humility in conflict when he asks, are you willing to change your mind when another person's case has more merit than yours? Are you able to hear good advice when it comes from some mouth other than your own and may even contradict your preconceived ideas? Are you willing to admit, I didn't think of that, or I see your point, unquote. So that's really a good introspective question, I think, around this topic of humility. So, and here's another quality of true humility, and I'll introduce it by asking you, is there an achievement or another area of your life where you tend to lean on for confidence rather than on God? 
Maxwell Anderson asked this profound question. It's a three word question. What price glory? You know, at what price does your glory come? We all have something, I think, battling to be our confidence instead of God. But maturing toward humility can be measured by our focus on advancing Jesus and our focus on the cause of Christ continually increasing as we are continually decreasing. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says simply, love does not boast. And Proverbs 27, 2 reminds us, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips, unquote. So if we're going to be praised, it should be by another person rather than ourselves, because bragging is repulsive to God and humans. So here's some good advice from Andrea So in avoiding inadvertently looking arrogant in your conversations. She says this, it is not smart to slip into your conversations, little boasts about yourself, the college you went to, the degrees you earned, the plum positions you held. First of all, it sounds proud and diminishes you ever so slightly in the eyes of the other person. Secondly, it sets a trap for your own feet because eventually, she says, think about it. If you develop a relationship with the person that you're speaking to, he or she will find out your true measure. If you have presented yourself too highly, your fall in his esteem will be worse. If, on the other hand, you have wisely refrained from boasting, your new friend will continually be delighted with the pleasant discoveries about you, which will be all the more pleasing to him because you did not brag at all. This is just another application, I believe, of Jesus's parable about taking the lowest versus the highest seat at a formal dinner. Luke 14 talks about that. So I appreciate her good point here that if we go around always bringing up our achievements, we rob others of that unexpected delight of discovering our achievements on their own. Second Corinthians 3, 5 reminds us how crazy it is to brag when God is the one who not only gave us every physical and intellectual ability we have, but also put us in a time and place where opportunities could surface to use those abilities. Um, it says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Galatians um, 6.14 reminds us that's why all glory is God's. The only accomplishment truly brag worthy is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So what blessings come to those who are generally hum genuinely humble? Lots. First off, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, God will hear from heaven and will forgive our sin and heal our land if we humble ourselves, pray and seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways, unquote. If that's not the answer to all that ills our nation, I don't know what is. And it's a fascinating to me that's like in one Bible verse, humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. It was the way back then for Israel in the Old Testament to come back to God and, and receive his blessing and remains our nation's way of healing our land as well. Repent or perish. That's the solution. The next blessing of humility is the kingdom of heaven. 
Because in Matthew chapter five, verse three, only the poor in spirit are promised the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 18, two through four, we see again that humbling ourselves like a child opens up to us the kingdom of heaven and the blessings therein, like being delivered up to God when this earth is gone and the kingdom is delivered to God, first Corinthians 15, 24. So the third blessing that I'll talk about is Matthew 20, verse 26, where God deems those who take the role and work of servants as greatest of all. Quote, the world defines greatness in terms of power and possessions and prestige and position. God determines your greatness by how many people you serve, not how many people serve you. Unquote. Again, Rick Warren. And then finally, another blessing, Proverbs 22, 4 says that the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. I mean, if not physically, certainly spiritually. Proverbs 15.33 mentions honor again when it says humility comes before honor. So before I close up shop here, a little cautionary advice around a sneaky little pitfall around humility. And that is being, this is ironic, and that is being proud of any virtue, including humility. We could make our own brains an idol if we misuse knowing things and teaching things as a social stepping stone to prove our worth. Truly, as Benjamin Franklin said, to be proud of knowledge is to be blind with the light. To be proud of virtue is to poison yourself with the antidote. <laughs> so you can almost like be so proud of how humble you are. So look out for that because that's, you know, again, poisoning yourself with the antidote. So in closing, I mean, boy, do we have a lot to be humble about, sisters. Even you high achievers out there. And we owe a debt of gratitude both to God and for all the sacrifices that people have made before us that have opened up these opportunities for us to do what we do for the glory of God. I mean, sacrifices that resulted really in our political freedoms or even in the advances in technology that help us communicate so easily with people that we've never even met. So I think about even advantages in healthcare that have resulted in our still being alive so that we can together uh, be together and during the sacred time that we just had thinking about eternally relevant things. So it's so much of these opportunities are outside of our control. They have been granted to us by the sacrifices that came before us. Isaac Newton, a brilliant physicist and mathematician humbly noted, if I have been able to see further than others, it is because I stood on the shoulders of giants, unquote. So I think you can probably relate to that that you have a lot to be thankful for that even gives you the opportunities to bring glory to God. So may God bless you this week as you humble yourselves under his mighty hand. And so that's what I have for tonight's lesson on humility, Isla. Isla, you got the next one on your own this next week, don't you? Yes, thank you so much for this lesson tonight. It was wonderful, just really good. A lot of good points for us to think about and practical as well. I always enjoy your virtues lessons. Great job. You're next welcome. week, next week uh, I'm going to talk about the Christian woman living alone, some of the challenges, some of the blessings as well. And uh, 
earlier in this year, I had asked for ideas and suggestions from our uh, viewers and got some good points. And uh, I would love to receive some more. If there's anybody, uh, if you've watched this video, come to the end of it and, and you uh, can think of some things maybe that would be helpful to the Christian woman of any age living alone, please add it to our Facebook or YouTube. And uh, I will pick up on those as I'm preparing my lesson. Um, are you going to be with us next week? I think so. Isn't that right? I'll be there if you want, or oh, if you want to yes. solo. I'm, I'm cool with whatever you say, boss, because you are, you're the boss of this whole thing. It's been a while since I reminded you of that. So I love, I love just tagging along on your coattails. So. Well, I, I love it when we chat about things. So I okay. think that would be wonderful. I'll be sure right. to, we'll be in touch. And so we can coordinate what we want to share with our, our viewers. Um, that's, that's next Thursday at eight o'clock on uh, July the 8th. And uh, don't forget also about our men that are doing at answering religious error on Tuesday night. They are doing some great speaking. Uh, about uh, keeping your head on straight, gentlemen, and uh, for Christian men, and uh, just doing a wonderful job with that. So be sure to watch them Tuesdays at 8 p.m. And if you have Bible questions or you know people that have Bible questions, be sure to submit them on Wednesdays at noon. Uh, our fellows are answering those as well. And uh, it's just so such a blessing to watch those programs uh, each week. So Cindy, I know you're glad to be home at the beach house again. So getting settled in and I'm getting settled in in my new home. So all right. We, yeah. So we'll have a great week and we hope that you all do as well. Good night. Good night.